And what's really interesting is McKee has always said this, like what if you want to know what your character really wants, what it what would be the thing that if you gave it to them would stop the story? Hello and welcome to the Story Toolkit. I'm Basim El-Wakil, co-author of Action, The Art of Excitement with Robert McKee, and joining me is Luke Linewall, writer and part of the McKee Storylogue team. So today we're going to talk about Vikings. <laughs> Why did you say it like that? Uh, because um, Conquest. Because Conquest. Okay. I don't have a horn. Oh, can I have some Conquest type music for the admin? Can it not just be side saddle because that's that's already in the iMovie project? Okay, I could settle for that. Okay. <laughs> um, as always, get in touch. Uh, we're on Twitter at the Story Toolkit. Uh, the Story Toolkit.wordpress.com is how you can email us direct and has uh, links to every episode um, uh, we have done. Uh, and keep emailing suggestions. We've had lots, and I like emailing with people. Who listen to the show. I, I, I never check my email, and one of the reasons I don't check my email is because if I respond to emails, I write, I spend a lot of time writing. Whereas Twitter, I'm like, yeah, 10 seconds and we're done. <laughs> so you get 280 characters of my time and no more, sir. Yeah, like, no it, more. It's 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 more, it's more just me being really pedantic as opposed to the other person being at fault. It was it it was me deprecating myself. Okay. It wasn't. Vikings, should we get into it? Uh, what do you want to do with the synopsis this week? Oh. synopsis size five seasons worth of television. I'll give a brief overview. <laughs> uh, it'll be, I'll, I'll like, seriously, well, I'll give like just a few minutes. Okay. Yeah? Okay, so Vikings, um, it's a television show. It was on the History Channel. Now it's on Amazon Prime. It is excellent. It has an amazing cast. It has amazing production value as well. And it tells the tale of a character from Viking uh, history called Ragnar Lothbrok, played by Travis Fimmel, who's amazing. Um, and Ragnar Lothbrok is a bit like King Arthur, I think, in the sense that it, it, no, it, the Vikings would give sagas to people in history. They would tell the sagas of certain people. And so there's a certain point of, like, you're not sure how much of this is real versus how much of this is uh, a, a sort of a conflagration of multiple people all being called Ragnar and so on. So There's a remarkable amount undocumented, isn't there, I, I, from this I, kind of history? I don't know exactly because I don't know the traditions of the Vikings. I don't know because I, I think the thing is they didn't write stuff down, I think. So it was a lot of oratory stuff, but I don't know how... I don't know how strict they were with oration, mm. uh, so I I, I, I I don't know how reliable any of it is. But um, I'm I'm I, I you know I'm I, I'm guessing actual historians do know exactly <laughs> how reliable it is, but I don't personally. Uh, but regardless, uh, Ragnar Lothbrok um, in the show is famous because he's a Viking warrior who is the first Viking to navigate the sea west. And he manages to get to England. And so he starts doing raids on England. And then he becomes Earl. And then he becomes King. Um, and he does these raids on England. And um, 
when he does the raids in England, he ends up meeting the King of Wessex, Eckbert, played by Linus Roche, who is also amazing. I mean, for me, the, sh- the heart of the show is those two actors playing those two characters. Um, and they basically broker a truce that Eckbert immediately betrays in order for Ragnar to come back to England. And Ragnar doesn't. He gets distracted and goes to Paris instead. And uh, eventually... So spoilers, by the way, but I mean, I don't know how much this is, if you're a Viking historian, if you know stuff about the history, then none of this is spoilers, I'm guessing. Um, But Ragnar ends up uh, not being able to conquer Paris. He comes back um, uh, to uh, Norway. He then goes back to England with his son Ivar the Boneless, who in the show is called Ivar the Boneless because his legs don't work. He can't walk. Um, and he takes him to England and he manages to basically force King Eckbert to give him over to King Ayla, who was the first king he attacked uh, all, all those years ago, who kills him. So Ivar goes back to Norway, gets the rest of Ragnar's sons to declare war in England and they lead the biggest army in Viking history to come to England. And we know, of course, like I think in 1066, doesn't, don't the uh, Vikings take over or something? Isn't that what happens in history? I do not know enough about 1066 our country's history that's it anyway um and so regardless the the show is now about um the sons of ragnar following that legacy and i'm halfway through season five Mm. or rather the first half of season five luke has finished the first half of season five the second half of season five i'm guessing is out this year at some point um and i don't know how long the show is running um, but that's basically the the, 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 the major beats of the, the, the story. I mean, there's so much more that I didn't even... Like, I haven't even mentioned Rollo. <laughs> there is a lot more uh, that you didn't mention. But, and um, it's funny because, like, the first season, one of the main characters is played by Gabriel Byrne. And you kind of forget Gabriel Byrne is in the show. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but it's Gabriel Byrne. <laughs> he's, uh, he's like... I mean, you know, Travis Fimmel, Linus Roche, Gabriel Byrne. Like, how's that for a trifecta? <laughs> you know? And then you've got uh, Catherine Winnick, who's Lagatha, mm-hmm. who's amazing. We all love Lagatha. Um, and the guys playing Ragnar's sons, Bjorn, Ube, Ivar, are all excellent. The whole cast is brilliant. Mm. It's a really, really amazing cast. And Floki is lovely. And yes. King Harold. And, yeah, so there's <laughs> just loads of characters. Okay. Um, all right, let's get into it. Ethel Wolf. This play- all right, all right, all right. <laughs> There's uh, there's plenty to get through. Um, okay, let's start with the genre. Okay, so what's interesting about Vikings is uh, one of the nice things about labeling genres is because um, when you do um, immediately like sort of like you you've discovered a new color. Um, so the, the Vikings um, ha- is is a, a specific kind of story which is what you could call the generational story. And the generational story is 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 like a, a story that tells um, throughout generations. So it's a ge- so the story continues through multiple generations. Um, it's not just about one person having one event or one major event in their lives. It's about a, it's about the history of a, the the broad sweep of life. Uh, and so, in a sense, it's kind of like a multi plot typically, because it's got multiple different characters or multiple different plot lines and so on that are sort of cohesive uh, simply because of either a theme or a spine of action or whatever. 
But um, the point being that there's multiple stories that happen. They're all connected, typically by the same character, whatever. In the case of Vikings, they're connected through the history of the Vikings from Ragnar Lothbrok onwards. Um, they're connected through his legacy, his saga. Um, but the generational story sort of arcs these things over over a course of generations. So another example of this would be uh, the film The Last Emperor, um, which is about the last emperor of China. Um, Rome, the HBO series Rome, is a generational story as well, where it just takes place over all these generations of, of people. Um, I'm sure there's others, and I can't think of one now. I'm drawing a blank again. Okay. Happens. But you, you, I hope you, I hope you get the point. I'm sure as soon as I mention it, people will be thinking of generational stories that they know. Um, and go, oh yeah, I remember this one being... Oh, another one would be Star Wars. The Star Wars franchise. Mm-hmm. Is a generational story. Okay? Uh, it wasn't at first, but it became one when it, the prequels came along. Yeah. Um, so, and then the new, the new trilogy, the sequel trilogy is also sort of continuing that sort of generational feel of you're watching the history of this galaxy far, far away unfolding over the course of these characters. Okay. Um, let's talk then about conventions. So the, the major convention of a generational story, and you'll see this in Vikings. It's well, actually, it's to, I'm going to pause you. It's worth noting just before we carry on. What's the difference between a convention and a cliche? I know we've talked okay. about it before. The but difference it's... is this: a convention is what you must do in order to tell the kind of story you want to tell. A cliche is doing it the same way as everyone else. That's the difference. Cliche is about execution, not about substance. So, for example, if you want to tell uh, a generational story, one of the things you've got to do is dramatize the passage of time. You've got to do that. If you don't do that, it's not a generational story anymore, right? If you want to tell a crime story, you've got to have a crime. If you want to tell a love story, you've got to have a romance. Like You can't get away with that, right? Mm. But the cliche is that the lovers meet in a singles bar. The cliche is that the guy dies in a locked room with ice on, with a with a puddle of water or whatever. The cliche of a generational story is that you would necess- maybe say tell it from birth to death. Mm-hmm. That would be necess- that could be a cliche, right? Um, but uh, the point being is that the convention, one of the key conventions of the generational story, is that you do not there you don't hide backstory. All the backstory is dramatized. And so, as a result, there's no secrets. And because there's no secrets, it's very hard to get turning points in such a show because you can't use the backstory to create turning points because there's no sense of revelation. So the, so the audience is aware of what's going on. And so to get turning points of revelation, you reveal more about the characters of what they're capable of rather than what they've done. So... What I mean by by backstory, when Vikings starts, there's a backstory, right? Because these characters existed before the first scene. But once it starts, every major event, every event of import that's going to be in these characters' lives is going to be dramatized on screen. 
you will see all of it. See, when, 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 when you cut from a scene, the audience instinctively unifies the cut in time and space. Even if the cut is like five years from now or whatever, the audience unifies it causality in terms of causality. That event, therefore this event. Okay, So when you do the cut, the audience inherently presumes that they haven't missed anything. right? So this was a huge problem with Dunkirk. Because Dunkirk kept cutting between three different time periods, and each time period, each section was taking place over a sh different amount of time. So it would cut from one scene to another scene, and it would be in the past, but you didn't know how far in the past. And it kept cutting like that. And I remember watching Dunkirk, and it was just aggressive in how um, intentionally confusing it was, because every time it cut, instead of unifying the film, you had to stop, get out of the film to work out the chronology because there was no indication otherwise. You had to pick up these visual clues. So while you're doing that, you're not paying attention or feeling anything. You're just, your mind's working overdrive, right? So when you have a generation, when you, when you do these cuts, in some stories, it's okay to kind of hide uh, expositional fact between the cut, right? It's okay to kind of go like, you know, you, you, you sneak something in there that the audience didn't know, or you change what people thought was true about the past. So the obvious one being Star Wars, I am your father, right? They go back and they change something you thought was true about the backstory. They change it and now it's Darth Vader's his dad, not the murderer of his dad, that kind of stuff, right? Generational stories, no, <laughs> right? Because when you go to watch a generational story, you want to watch the history unfold. And what's so important is causality. You want to see cause, then effect, cause, then effect. Even if you break up the time frame, like if you re if you make it so that, you know, you have flashbacks or whatever, that's that's different. That's okay. What, what I mean is that you can't just hide things and change the past, if that makes sense. It has to be, once you start, that's it it's in front and you get to watch the whole thing so in vikings uh, and rome did this as well they have massive time jumps but when they jump in time they they immediately just it's as if no time had ch has changed it's just everything was it, it, things like certain positions have changed some was this but it's like it's just trimming the fat. It's just like a little... It's like a cut from one scene to the next. You don't need to see someone walk up, knock on the door, open the door. You can just cut from outside the house to inside the house, right? You don't presume that in that time frame these things happen, right? So Vikings, Rome, these sort of generational stories, when they do these cuts, they, by necessity, because they're telling stories that take place over such a vast amount of time, you couldn't possibly dramatize everything. So the idea is the audience goes, okay... If you're going to tell me a story that takes place over 20 years or 30 years, 40 years, 50 years, I understand you're not going to give me a 50-year story right? that takes 50 years to watch. It's going to be done in two hours. In the case of Vikings, five seasons. In the case of Rome, two seasons. Okay, you're going to give... You, you, you have to cut. But you're not allowed to cut anything that's important and not show it to me. You have to show me the pro the progression of everything. So flashbacks, flash forwards, they're acceptable, but only in the sense that they're about to be paid off. You can't really, do you know what I mean? You can't really mess with that because people want to see it unfold in front of them. That's the joy of a generational story is watching that unfolding happen. So um, Vikings, there's a scene, there's a moment where Ragnar 
There's loads of cuts and times in Vikings, for example. One of the things they keep cutting is they will, when someone, uh, when they start a voyage to cross the sea somewhere, they will often cut to them arriving. And that's only something they do later because obviously in season one, it's part it's of a big the story, thing. right? Yeah, but once they've like conquered the ability to navigate the sea, yeah, they they stop showing you that, and then once they stop showing you that, those passages of time are months. Mm. and they just happen and no one mentions it it just happens and you can tell because certain actors are now older than they were before certain things have changed but the story carries on as if as if they just traveled there over the course of a few days but actually no it's been months and months build into years and so you get you nothing is being uh left out as it were and there's a scene sorry scene there's a moment where ragnar basically disappears for 12 years between season three and season four, he's disappeared for 12 years. There's nothing in that backstory for any character that you feel you missed out on. Mm. And in fact, if they went back and went, well, in that 12-year gap, this happened, and they brought in a secret, it would feel really cheap. Right? It would just feel super cheap to do that because you go like, well, you could have shown us that. Why didn't you show us that? Mm. Uh, why did you, you know, it's just it's just to try and get a thing. And it's like, it doesn't need to do that because of the force of history, the force of causality. It doesn't need to do it. It's a fo- you see, it's a focusing thing. By focusing uh, everything on dramatizing everything, so there's no hidden backstory, the focus is on causality and why people do the things they do and how events interconnect. When you start hiding aspects of the backstory, the audience starts looking backwards for things for motivation it's, it's a different sensation than what you're focusing on it's like generational stories don't want to do that they want you to focus on how uh history unfolds in this sort of like like a like a you know just sort of uh, um what do you call it um blossoms you know just like watching it just like oh yeah you know like when you watch those um quick uh those quick speed sped up videos of a flower blooming mm-hmm. it's like that but for history, it's just watching the whole thing just replay, and you get to see the whole thing happen. Um, anything where you cut out a section of that just defeats the purpose of doing it. Mm. Defe- defeats the joy of it. I have two points. Yes. One is more pedantic than the other. Go on. Um, you used Star Wars as an example of a generational story. Yes. Said generational stories can't hide backstory. Yes. Then cited the I'm Your Father example. Yes. So... When Star Wars starts, Star Wars isn't a generational story. The first three films are not a generational story at all. Um, they are just... They're kind of cloaked in a historical sort of generational feel, but really they're not. They're just... you got Star Wars, which is a fun standalone film. Empire is a great standalone film. Return of the Jedi is great. Ends, the, ends it. As soon as they went back and dramatized uh, how Anakin becomes Vader it starts to become generational because you're starting to watch the whole thing. So you, you don't, so here's the thing. If you watch episode one to episode six, there is no hidden backstory. Yeah. Right. It's, it's all there. You get, you see it literally the one bit of backstory that's hidden from you in the Star Wars trilogy has been completely dramatized. It just happened to be dramatized after the, um, the, uh, what do you call it? The, the, the original thing. The major problem with the Star Wars franchise is episode 7 because Abrams decided to do his mystery box nonsense 
and he added all this un unseen backstory to the franchise and it's inherently annoying because you go well hold on who is snoke how does snoke fit into this and of course if there's like you that's not what you want to see we wanted to basically see episode six cut to episode seven and yeah things are somewhat different but we can immediately understand the causality between six and seven much in the same way that you can go from three to four and you totally work out who's how everyone got to where they were Rogue One's nice filler, but it's not necessary. Mm. You don't need to know that. It's like, yeah, that's fine. But six to seven, it literally, like six ends going, hey, here's here's the ending. And seven starts and no one is in the same position at all. And no, and it's there's no explanation for why they're in those positions, which is why it's inherently annoying. Now, Star Wars can get away with it because of the I am your father. Because that's what it's built on. It's mm. built on that big twist. So the fact that, it, hey, it starts off and there's like, hey, there's going to be a twist maybe. It, people are kind of a bit patient about it. But as The Last Jedi proved, um, the best answers were to go, these were stupid questions in the first place. And you basically had two responses. People who went, oh, yeah, you're right. They are stupid questions. And people who went, no, no, they were the best questions. Give me really great answers to these questions without realizing there are no good answers to the stupid questions. So... That that's sort of the big controversy of the Last Jedi. Okay. When I think about it. Uh, the the other point I wanted to make was, but uh, but it's actually it is a good point because like you do look at seven and eight and you realize how they have actively broken. See, when I said like you have to, the convention is what you must do, but cliches, you know, do how you do it. The episode seven broke a key convention of the generational structure. That the last Jedi had to pay off, had to somehow fix, and that is just this inherent flaw in Episode Seven. Yeah, it's just it's just the major problem. Now, the the only way Star Wars can also get away with it is it has the opening crawl. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Which is there to kind of help you do that, but it it didn't do what it was supposed to do in Episode Seven. So, um, yeah. So it's just it's one of those things where it's like that's that you can sort of see why that convention is so important. By hiding all that stuff, what do people feel like happened? What does Mark Hamill feel like he happened? It feels like they've been cheated out of the story. That's what it feels. Mm. It feels like Mark Hamill. I mean, for him particularly, he he mentioned what really get why he sort of like he doesn't really care about ever doing any more Star Wars stuff is because Han Solo died and Carrie Fisher died. So the band can never come back together. And with that, it's like, well, what's the point? Yeah. And like, that's kind of the issue that episode seven had, which was it, it, it didn't actually bring the band back together. And because it didn't, and now it's not possible that that can happen. Like, even if they wanted to do a, a, an episode like six and a half between six and seven, yeah, you could have Han and Luby kind of lay it anymore. Yeah. It's done. So that sense of like, we feel like we got cheated out of a story that we should have seen. And that's why it's annoying, and um, and that's why it feels so. It's, it's it's sort of a blemish on the franchise. It's just there's no way out of it. Let's a uh, little segue. Let's move back yeah. to to Vikings. Is it fair then to think of Vikings as this constantly uh, forward looking show in that respect? If you can't, if if you're never going into backstory and revealing mm. secrets about characters, then the show itself. Yeah. Um, it is always it is always in the moment. It's always about things that happen on screen or yeah. that are about to happen. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, it's it's I just got, wanted to crystallize. Yeah, that th- there's actually a sort. Of, the, uh, this is why generational stories are typically based on history. I mean, it, it, the natural home is to do sort of a historical thing mm. because you can just cut perfectly. Like, uh, okay, a really simple generational idea. Biopics are almost always generational. Right. Right now that I think about it. Right? Biopics are just they're about one person, but through the generations. And because it's based on a real person, president, whatever, um, they can cut to the high points. And then they just... You, you, there's nothing that you feel is missing. Mm. It's just minutiae trivia. You don't need to see it because it just cuts the most important bits. Whereas uh, a story that isn't doing that might focus on trivial bits and so on and hide certain things from you and uh, play around with certain focuses and things. So it's it's a different sort of animal of what people are expecting. People are expecting like basically just really major events in a person's life that define sort of define them whereas in other stories you build up to those events whereas generationally you kind of like you cut from one to the next to the next to the next and you use each major defining moment of a person to build up to the next one you know you just cut the the cutting is i remember when i watched rome for the first time and they went five years later i'm like i've never seen a show just suddenly go yeah five years later that's it we're not even going to show you all this stuff and of course, that was because the show got cancelled and they, their budget got cut. But I'd never seen that. And it's like, yeah, it's fine. You, you, it just cuts from this to this and you, you get exactly... Everyone's kind of in the same position that they were. Just the trajectory they were on has continued a little further. And you, yeah. You just piece it together. Um, so something that has just kind of popped out of, of what you just said, um, I think it might be worth uh, um, just... Going back to the subject of genre and the, the Vikings, this is not the only genre. In no, Vikings. no, Vikings is uh, a historical drama. It's a domestic drama. It's an action story. It's um, it's a uh, it's a, there's a, a sort of an education or a disillusionment story, depending on how it plays out for it, certain characters. There's love stories in there. There's uh, there's a sort of buddy stories in there. Etc. 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 There's loads of different genres. Good. It was it was from the point you made about the um, uh, biopics because I know that uh, yeah, uh, McKee was asked a lot in Q and A's about uh, how principles of story apply to biopics mm. and uh, and how you treat history and the idea that if you're doing a, a, a story about a character, you find the interesting moments yeah. and you you tell the story that you think you find the story sure. as opposed to yeah um just doing this happened and then this happened and then this so what's interesting if you're doing a generational story there's typically you know a biopic is focused on one character one person mm. for the majority of their life okay from like as as close to the 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 beginning of what makes them famous as it were like what noteworthy to the end of that you know that that peak time uh, Vikings isn't that. Vikings is not just about Ragnar. It's about Ragnar and his sons. And it's also about King Ecbert and his sons. And when you have this kind of story where the cast... Like, I was watching, I think, an episode in season three and it went previously on Vikings. And you re- you remarked, this is like an Oscar memorial reel <laughs> because you were far, further ahead than me. And you said it's like a completely different show because 
there were so many characters in there that aren't in the show anymore. And I, and I think back to that. Episode, I like, think... yeah, there was Sigi, Athelstan, right? They're, they're all gone. Uh, Torvid is gone. Not Torvid, not Torvid. Uh, Thor, 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 oh, jeez, what's his name? The, the Viking that was their friend. Yeah. And he just dies later from like a random blood infection. And it's just like, you remember he gets his arm amputated yeah. and it's not enough to save I him. Honestly, I d- at the time when you watched that, I couldn't remember a lot of the characters. Yeah. Because they were that far yeah. buried in the history of the show. Exactly, because like between season three and season five it's like fifteen years yeah. or more uh, passage of time. But yeah, so there's so the cast completely changes. So the face of season five is complete in fact really the only person in season five that feels like they've always been there is Lagatha. Mm. Everyone um Bjorn, but that's it. Mm. Um everyone else is gone. Right? And so when you have that the issue is, well, why does the audience stick around? Why don't you just get bored as soon as Ragnar's gone? Like, why would you stick around? Why doesn't the spine of action stop? And what's really interesting is, McKee has always said this, like, what if you want to know what your character really wants, what, it, what would be the thing that if you gave it to them would stop the story? You give them the thing and the story stops. And so, like, and I think that's a really interesting thing to do because um, that's <laughs> that's what happened with Breaking Bad. Um, yeah. Right? Because the, Vince Gilligan and the writers went, well, what happens if we just give him the money he needs to to pay for all his medical bills and look after his family? What if we just gave him the money? So they did that in episode four and Heisen and Walter White refuses the money and they go, why? Because it's not what he really wants. He doesn't really want the money. What does he really want? It's like he really <laughs> wants to be Heisenberg. <laughs> you know, that's what he wants. He's in the empire business. He's in the empire business. He wants his empire. I mean, Breaking Bad could be generational. <laughs> <laughs> if the, but the reason it's not is because Walt eventually does get what he wants. And it stops. As soon as Walt gets what he wants, it's over. Vikings, what does Ragnar want? What does he actually want? And the big question is, when he dies in the show, did he get it? Did he get what he wanted? And it's like, no, he didn't. The spine of action is then literally picked up by his kids, uh, mainly Uber, Ivar, and Bjorn. Because what it's about, the show, is the legacy of Ragnar. It's Ragnar's legacy. What does Ragnar really, really want? He wants a legacy. Every time he says he wants something, the writers give it to him, and it doesn't satisfy him. Right, he wants to. He wants to kill himself. He never. He could. He could kill himself. He's a Viking. He can easily kill himself. What does he do? He tries to hang himself, and it doesn't work. And he gives up. Really? Like, you know, like that doesn't sound like someone who's tried. Like a Viking wants to kill himself. It's not hard, you know. So he 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 wants to be a farmer. He was a farmer. He wants to cross the sea. He crosses the sea. He wants this, he wants it gets it, he gets it, he gets it, he gets it, he gets all the money he could want, he gets this, he gets it's still not enough. What does he really want? He wants a legacy. He dies, and we don't know what his legacy is. Did he get a legacy or not? So we have to see the play out of that. And so what happens is they get the great army, they invade England, but that isn't the end of his legacy. We've got to know what hap- what Uber wants wants the farm legacy. Bjorn wants the exploration legacy and Ivar wants the war legacy, right? We go, well, which one of these things is going to happen? What's going to... So you're focused on this spine of action. It never changes. The main character dies, but what he wants, his sons 
want in different ways. They're all conflicting against each other. And you're watching to find out, Do and it goes from does Ragnar get it almost to do they get it? Right? So in retrospect, Ragnar is still haunting the show. In a way, he's still driving the show. like, will Ragnar get what he wanted? We got, I gotta know. Does Ragnar get his legacy? You know? it's, a ni- it's a nice example, going back to something we talked in a previous episode about um, uh, about the dramatic question not changing, just becoming slightly more nuanced. Yeah, or majorly more nuanced. Or, more nuanced. <laughs> or, or just, or like, again, that unfolding of the dramatic question, it opens and you go, oh, I get, oh, no. Right. It's, oh, look at the peeling of an onion. And then the tears. Yeah. <laughs> um, but the, also, the show isn't just about Ragnar's legacy. It's also about King Eckbert's legacy. Uh, Wessex, the King of Wessex, played by Linus Roche, he wants his legacy. He comes in as the main antagonist for Ragnar, and they almost immediately become friends, right? Because they both want the same thing. And they look at each other as though they can use the other to get what they want, that's which your, is a legacy. That's your favourite moment in the show, isn't it? What? The, 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 those two sat on thrones together. Yeah, when they've ironed out a peace treaty and betrayed everyone. <laughs> like the, the two of them, like they've both promised their people that they will go to war and it will be amazing and glorious. And they will, like, Eckbert's like, we'll go to war and we'll win and uh, it'll be a great thing for the for Christendom. And then and Ragnar's like, we'll go, we'll raid, we'll get all this great stuff. It'll be a great thing for us. And what does Ragnar do? And what does Eckbert do? Immediately they go, yeah, let's have peace. Let's make a settlement. Everything's cool, right? And then uh, they immediately see how they can use each other to create their legacy. Eckbert... As soon as they leave, Eckbert slaughters all of Ragnar's settlers. When Ragnar hears about this, Ragnar doesn't go back to England. He slaughters the messenger that tells him so that no one knows. So he can invade Paris because he wants to go to Paris, right? And it's only after he can't conquer Paris and Rollo betrays him that he then goes back to England. And when he does, it's been like 15 years and Eckbert goes... What took you so long? I'm an old man now. It's like <laughs> my plan, you know, for, for me to do this to you. And like the, the two of them are totally hollowed out because they, they tried to create their legacies and uh, they Ragnar's, Ragnar gets hollowed out because his brother betrays him. He can't conquer Paris and it feels uh, like uh, the gods are denying him his legacy. It feels like his, his, his destiny is not his own, right? And Eckbert... Uh, sees the guy he admired, this firebrand, this farmer who became the king, you know, the man who would be king. He sees that guy hollowed out, begging to be killed by him. And that just, and he's waited 15 years for his return. And when he returns, he's just, he essentially looks like a beggar with a crippled son. And he's just like, I've got, I've got nothing in me. And what does he say to him? He says like, I really liked the farm idea. It was just the wrong time. Like if why because he wasn't king of kings, that's why he wasn't king of kings. He used the Vikings so he could conquer the rest of England. That's what Wessex wanted, and that's what he saw. He, he saw right through it. He understood. Hey, you know, I can use these Vikings to get what I want. And Ragnar saw that, and that that was that was it. So these two characters both want the same thing, and so the show not only is it focused on Ragnar's kids, but we also remember what Essex does. What well, sorry Wessex? Remember what King Eckbert does? Just. Uh, when the Vikings, the the sons of Ragnar, have returned to claim revenge, remember what he does? He he sends his son, King, uh, who's now King Aethelwulf, and his grandchildren off, and he says, "I've got to stay here. I've got a destiny." Remember? 
Oh, yeah, and he and he signs the piece of land that he's not legally allowed to sign anymore because he's not king, and he gives it to the Vikings, and then he asks them, "I want to choose the manner in which I die. That's what I get for giving you the land." And they go sure, and they let him, you know, kill himself in a sort of peaceful way, as it were, and because um, they want to blood eagle him, right? And um, and we're sitting there going, like, well, what, 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 what was Egbert's plan? What's Egbert's legacy going to be? What's his legacy going to be? So now we're focused on Ethelwolf, who's amazing. And we know his grandson is Alfred the Great. Is going to be Alfred the Great. So there's the whole thing of the legacy of King Egbert now. So there's two generations playing against it at each other. And so we're, we're watching two generations both working across this. And because it's all about this legacy and destiny and the force of history and how these two men are shaping history we stick around and watch because much like how Ragnar is still haunting the show, Eckbert is still haunting the show. Um, and so it, it, it's very much like these two characters wanted something. They put things into effect. They've died, but that desire is still going off in their children, which shows you like, you know, it, I love that. There's a bit in story where McKee says act two, they die. That's still not the ending. So what if they die? <laughs> That's not enough, right? So yeah, these characters have died. It's not the end of the show. Death it does not mean the end of the story, which is one of the things. Like, If you are going to kill a character, by the way, and you want it to be the end of the story, it needs to actually be the end, right? Either they will never get what they want or they do get what they want, right? Mm. One or the other thing. But uh, these characters, they didn't get what they want, uh, and it's not over. <laughs> still going so you've got the kids and they're carrying off the legacy and all that and that's what the show is about and it's just it's a really great uh, uh particularly because i think the show's so long it's been going five years now uh we well six in a way because season four is in two parts right yeah six years and so this the, the new season whenever it comes out will be the seventh yeah planet. yeah and and, and by the way generation uh, I, I should make this point generation isn't the same as a spin-off um, this isn't like the show has spun itself off inside itself. It's the same same story. It's because well, I, the, the next point I was going to make was um, uh, was about how you unify it. So let's just go yeah. back to the spine just briefly. Yeah. We know season five, part one and part two is not a spin off of the show because no. it's continuing the same spine. Exactly, it's the same you, spine. You, ha- you haven't seen the rest of. No. The first half of season five. I haven't. And I have. Yeah. But things happen later which really solidify what you're saying. Yeah. About yeah. that still being the spine of action. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. That's, which that's, I won't spoil for you. Yeah. But that's, that's, that's good to know because it means the show isn't just suddenly going to go, oh, we don't know what we're doing. It also. <laughs> it's like it's quite clear the show knows where it's It going. also, more importantly, means that you're right. Um, yeah. So, in terms of unifying then. Yes. Um, because one of the very early questions I was going to ask was about was about the spine. Are you, are you essentially saying that in a generational story, you don't have to unify it with the spine of action? It can be something else. Well, the, the, what the thing about a generational story is, if you have a single character, who's like it's a biopic, right? Mm. It's one person, and it's their life. You have one spine of action. Uh, And the example in story of this is The Last Emperor, where he has an unconscious desire and so many different conscious desires, right? 
Um, of course, yeah. So that's what, and it, it doesn't have to be an unconscious. Like, it can be a conscious one, but it's like it has to be a conscious desire that lasts a person's entire life. Mm. So it's very difficult to do. Um, but if you have that, great. Okay. But so that Ragnar's is a conscious desire. He wants his. Uh, is it? No. I don't know how conscious it oh, is. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> there's okay. parts where I'm like, yeah, I think he knows what he wants, and then there's other parts where I'm like, I think he actually doesn't get it. <laughs> um, uh, same with Eckbert. I think Eckbert's more aware of what he really wants. Yeah. Um, but the, the thing is, it, 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 it's not. That's not so much more whether or not those specific characters it's conscious or unconscious because it comes and goes. But it's it's more if it's about one person, it's they have this one sort of spine of action, their desire. If you have an ensemble, the problem is how do you link each ensemble to the next ensemble? So the object of desire, for example, in Star Wars is different. And that's okay. Right? That's not actually a problem. Um, So they don't... So an ensemble, I mean, you could... Sorry, what do you mean by the object of desire is different? Well, the the, the object of desire for um, uh, Anakin and Obi-Wan, etc., in the prequels is different to the objects of desire for Luke. With you. And they seem to be different. There's similarities in that they all want to beat the bad guy and do it. But Anakin actually doesn't have the same desires as anyone, right? Anakin's desire is, I want to conquer death and uh, I hate sand. Um, whereas Luke's is, I want to beat the bad guy and become a great Jedi. And Ray's is, I want to beat the bad guy and become a great Jedi. Ray's is the same. So <clears throat> either it's sort of a repetition, if that makes sense, where like the characters want the same thing but their spine of action is separate so it's like a repetition you know that's one way you could do it Mm -hmm. another way you could do it is you literally like vikings you just have this one object of desire that literally one character picks up and carries on it's the same one like for example it could be i want to conquer paris that could be the object of desire right ragnar doesn't get it but he doesn't fail completely and so his sons carry it right that's not what happens but that could be the case right at rome Rome didn't have that at all. Rome um, had a, a bunch of characters and they all had their own storylines. And uh, what happened in Rome was that these characters would interact with each other as the story went on in different ways. And it would hit the major beats of history, like the death of Caesar and so on. So each character would have their storyline and then that would propel the next character into it. So it's a bit like a soap opera. Hmm. And you could argue soap operas are generational. Right, because you're watching people grow up, and none of the, there's nothing in the backstory. The only time you get backstory is when a new character enters the soap opera. Otherwise, it's the same. Uh, it's, you see everything dramatized. So you could soap operas are sort of generational. And how do they get away with it? Well, they have multiple plot lines, and characters will resolve one, and then that will cause another one to pick up. And mm. so there's a cascading sort of interrelation between things. So remember, so you know, as I said, like. The convention is, right, that you're dramatizing all the backstory, that not, that there's nothing kept off screen. You keep going, keep going. But the cliche would be from birth to death. The cliche would be everyone has one object of desire. The cliche would be you repeat the same object of desire through the generations. Mm. Uh, the cliche would be that you do the soap opera thing of where you build a story up and then 
as you're building that up, you're building a second one in the background. And then when that story resolves, you bring in the second one like that. So, you know, there's there's all these different techniques of how you would do it, but they're all sort of multi-plot techniques. And then you could possibly even just have a thematic cohesion. But there needs to be some sort of cohesion. Hmm. Because if you didn't, the audience would then, as soon as a storyline ended, the audience would just go, well, it's done and walk off. And you don't want that, right? You want them to focus on... I mean, imagine if you're watching a story like The Last Emperor and... It, it feels like the story's over when his first conscious desire is met or lost. But it's like, no, no, you've, there's still two hours left to go, <laughs> right? But how do you get the audience to put up with two more hours without feeling you're just repeating and starting? There has to be a momentum. And so the momentum that's being built up is there's something, a theme, a specific object of desire, other characters in the world, whatever. Something is building in momentum as something else is ending. That's how it works. So as Ragnar is dying, as his last act is happening, he dies in episode, I think, four of season four. So Ragnar comes back. He's got this huge climactic ending coming to this character that overarcs four episodes. And as he's doing that, what do we see? All his children are rising in stories. All their arcs are building, building, building. So when he goes, their arcs are ready to take over. Mm. So that's sort of the basic structure of every generational thing. As one story ends, the next one's building up. But sometimes it might be the same object of desire. It might be just interrelated characters, whatever. Do you think this? Do you think the show really would have had a problem if it had killed Ragnar in the last episode? Do you think people would be confused? No, 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 no. Because... Not confused, sorry, but do you feel... If they killed him at the very, very end of season four, season four, yeah, how many people do you think would have come back for five? Oh, that's a good point. I think, it, I think, yeah, it would have hurt the show. But by killing him in episode four, yeah, you have this momentum with the sons, yeah, and you get the sense the show's not done. Yeah, because the show's not the show's not done, and the audience immediately will tune in for the next week's episode because it's mm-hmm. still the season. Yeah. Like, I wonder where it's going, and by the time the season ends, they're hooked. Right. Whereas if you ended, as you say, season four on that note, which seems the right thing to do, right? Seems like, oh yeah, you saved Ragnar's death at the end of the season. Sure. But if you did that, then people go, well, I guess it's over now because by the time the next season starts up, they've they've accepted Ragnar's gone and everything, and the the momentum you're building up hasn't had time to take over. In fact, I don't know. Ragnar dies. Is it the end of the episode that he dies? I can't remember what the last scene of that episode is. I think it is his death. I think he dies in the pit, and that's it. Mm. Um, but that's sort of um, that's sort of a key thing of like trying to make sure that's just sort of the part of the thing of writing these kind of stories is making sure that the audience doesn't turn off I've just remembered by the way that it, <laughs> even as he is lying in the snake pit cause he's being bitten by snakes isn't he being bitten by all these snakes I was still thinking yeah but it's Ragnar Come on. Yeah, me too. <laughs> like he's yeah. about to wrestle a thousand he's, snakes. He's got something up his sleeve. Tie them into a rope. He's got, uh, it's, funny because, his way out. it's funny because the, the writers knew you were going to think that because literally King Eckbert for the whole episode is going, what's really up your sleeve? Yeah. <laughs> well, what have we really got going on? Uh, that was, but, and Eckbert, by the way, he was so convinced something was going to happen, right, that he went to the death in secret just to see, like, What's Ragnar really up to? And then he watches Ragnar just die. And he goes like the Holy Spirit entered him and all that stuff. And he just loses it, right? Um, but he's, I mean, those two are... Uh, my, one of my favourite bits is when Ragnar finally returns to Ekbert. Ekbert has him in a cage. 
and he spends the whole day with Ragnar in a cage by himself in his di- in in this big dining room. And eventually he lets Ragnar out after Ragnar like basically says, if you let me out, I will kill you. And Egbert's like, oh, do I, tr- do I let you out? What happens? You finally let him out. They don't, he doesn't kill him. They drink. They drink all night and then they get into this fantastic 2 a.m. dorm room type of thing where they're just kind of like, what is the point of life? <laughs> <laughs> and they're just totally drunk. They're like, mate, I, I, don't, I don't know if God's real. <laughs> And it's just like, and Egbert's like, no, mate, mate, God's got to be real. He's good. I, I, it's just like, I've seen those conversations happen with like you and other people when you're drunk. I've seen you guys have these things, these sort of like nonsense conversations at three in the morning where you're totally like, now, now is the perfect time <laughs> to really express what's deep down in my heart and all that stuff. And I'm like, this is amazing. Because on the surface, the story is two kings basically talking about destiny and all this stuff but the subtext is it's two guys <laughs> drunk sharing a beer you know it's just great i love that there was such a great scene they played it beautifully um let's just hit one more thing before we wrap up okay um, uh we discussed this off mic but i can't i don't think we've touched it properly yet problems with revelation in a generational story we did mention this didn't you we? did mention this okay uh the the problem is, is is there's really only two ways to turn a scene, either on action or revelation. There's no really other way to turn a scene, right? Uh, and revelation only comes from backstory, that is, th- secrets that characters have that you then reveal. But in a generational story, all that stuff is dramatized. So you have a real problem, which is how do you generate that stuff? And what you do is you basically instead of revealing uh, expositional points, you reveal traits of the character that you didn't know were there so when ragnar and and ekbert leave vikings while while the object of desire that they were chasing remains those two characters are finished like there's nothing left in them anymore you 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 get the sense that there is nothing that these characters could do that would surprise you you just know them too well uh, tony soprano had a similar thing at the end of his run it's like, yep, I know you. You're dumb. Uh, at the end of season five, you just knew him, which is why season the last season wasn't great because you just you knew everything about Tony. It's finished. Um, so the character's just fully exhausted and done. So Ragnar, we've seen the depths of every aspect of that character, but we've seen the depths of everything of that character. It's you know those guys are done. There's nothing left to them. They realize that what they want is beyond their reach but not beyond the reach of their children. So now we want to see if their children will get it for them, right? And so, uh, but the characters are sort of exhausted. So so they get huge amounts of revelation in that sense, but the revelation is not backstory. The revelation is who they are as a person. So like, for example, when you see Ragnar try to kill himself, that you didn't know Ragnar would do that. Hmm. I mean, you got the sense Ragnar wanted to go, but you felt like, no, he'll only go... In combat, he has to he has to go and save face, but there's a point where he actually just is happy to just hang himself. And you go, geez, I didn't realize he was that despondent, that he was that broken. He's broken enough that he'll give up his place in Valhalla. Yeah, that's how broken he is. And Eckbert, you you didn't think that, like I don't know about you, but I always felt Eckbert's plan was never ever to let Ethelwolf have the throne. 
Mm. Every time he told him, you know, I, he kept sending him out to battles and all that stuff. He expected his son to die, and Alfred would eventually take over. Yeah. When he was an old man who could no longer be king, Alfred would take over. I never thought Eckbert would actually, at some point, value his son. Because he, he never cared about him. It was mm. so obvious. You know, and Ethelwolf knew this. Ethelwolf could tell he didn't give any anything about him. But there comes a point where he sees uh, Ragnar tree Ivar. And, and Eckbert actually, at the end of Eckbert's life, he be, has compassion. I mean, you never thought he'd have compassion, right? But he kind of has some compassion to him and all that stuff. And so, um, and a genuine sense of like, his selflessness is sort of, his selfishness, beg your pardon, is gone. He has a bit of selflessness to him. He thinks about he thinks about his legacy beyond himself as opposed to his legacy in his lifetime. Mm. That makes sense. And um, so these characters, like, and so you didn't you didn't see, and you never uh, you never saw Eckbert truly, really just sort of like um, drop all his pretenses and defenses with someone, like he did with Ragnar. Like, straight away, he just told Ragnar, yeah, I betrayed you immediately. <laughs> but you didn't come. What happened? Like, he just puts out all on the table. He just trusts Ragnar so complicitly. You've never seen him trust someone like that. So, you know what I mean? So, these characters, they get revealed more and more. You see more and more of them. But there's not a point where, um, <laughs> for example, when Eckbert says, I, I had all your people slaughtered, we've known this for two seasons. Hmm. Right? It's not a secret. It's not something that's a revelation. We've known this for two seasons. Ragnar's known this for at least a season as well. So he, neither one of them, it's not a surprise for any one of them. But what is a revelation is that he would so openly trust uh, Ragnar to just admit these things to him. Yeah. And then eventually let him out of the cage when it's just the two of them on their own. And he knows Ragnar has no reason to... Ragnar's come to kill, to die. Mm. Um. So yeah. So it's revelation, but not of the same kind, really. Okay, well, if we're gonna, and it's just a problem. You, it's 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 an inherent problem of this kind of story that you would need to work out how to solve. Yeah. Uh, which is how to keep turning the story without just being and then and then and then like how to actually create turning points when you haven't got access to essentially one of the major ways to turn. As story. if creating turning points wasn't hard enough in the story, <laughs> exactly. you're going to remove half of your yeah. armory. Yeah, but that's why. Hey, at least I've got history to back me up, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, um, okay. Oh, well, of course, the crown. There's another generational story. There we go. Beautiful. The crowd. <laughs> there we go, right? And it's uh, and that's on the... I don't know how big a part Prince Charles will end up playing in season three, but in seasons one and two, it's definitely like it's gone from King George to Queen Elizabeth, mm-hmm. and it's mostly about Elizabeth and Philip. Like the, It's it's really about those two characters. Um, Philip is a very big part of the show. Right. But anyway... Okay, thanks for remembering that. Yeah. Hi, Bass. Welcome to the show. There we go. <laughs> um, if we're going to put a neat little button on this, then yes, there's one thing that we can take away. Oh, one thing to take away. Mm. Um, well, if you're not writing a generational story, then the question is, well, what do you take away from learning about the generational story? And my suggestion is the same thing I would tell people whenever I would see them at the seminar, the key seminar, and they wondered which genre day to take. And I would say all of them, <laughs> because I, 
I got a huge amount of information of how to write action from uh, Bob's Horror Day. Bob, at no point in the Horror Day lecture, does he mention action writing. He never does. But I was listening to him talk about horror for 10 hours. And I went, hold on a minute. Why is this different to action? What makes this so different to action? And because of that distinction, I was able to generate all the material that I did for the action book. That was the first impetus, right? I had no interest in writing a love story, but I went to the love story lecture and I walked away going, I kind of want to try and write a love story hmm. or because I, I really like how this works. I get it now, right? But so the reason to know about other genres is the worst case scenario is you learn the aspects of the genre you're writing because you know what conventions exist in other genres. So you immediately start applying them to whatever it is that you're trying to write. Hmm. You, you immediately start trying to apply things. So for example, in the case of the generational uh, structure and so on, immediately the, like the question of object of desire becomes absolutely paramount. Uh, how do you create episodic versus uh, sequential storytelling? Like why, how does it stop being repetitive? All these kind of things are aspects every story has to deal with. But in generation, because of the conventions of it, they're pronounced in different ways. So how do you tell story just with action and character revelation when you can't reveal backstory? Right? Now you think, well, I've got access to revelation from the backstory. What secrets can I give my characters? Right? That's a huge learning tool. Like, hold on. Wait, wait, wait. What secrets can I learn, can I give my characters to tell in my story? What's a secret I can give them? Like, what's what's a secret my protagonist could have that would suddenly create, a, like, a huge amount of adrenaline for the story? Uh, another thing might be um, that question of, okay, well, what stops the story? What do I give them that stops the story? Can I give it to them and re realize that actually that's not what they really want? They want something else. Uh, and so on, you know. Mm. Um, so that there, so so yeah. What do you get from the generational story? It's like you get to learn conventions of a genre, whether or not you're writing it, and as a result, you start to understand certain aspects of your own story from it. Because if it's not that genre, then you realize what conventions don't really apply, and then that informs you of your own writing. That's one of the best summations you've done. <sighs> it's a, it's my uh, legacy. No, that's terrible. I would put it in your in your top five summations that we. That, that I we I feel that this list does not exist at all. It does now. This is number one and <laughs> two to four. Uh, sorry, two to five. Uh, TBC. Really? Mm -hmm. I do remember that you mentioned this about in one of the in the Die Hard one that we did at the end. You went that you were so eloquent and then you crashed so quickly. <laughs> I remember that being... That was definitely one of your bottom five. <laughs> I, it was top and bottom, right? Yeah. Isn't it, the, uh, isn't it the dynamic nature that makes it top and bottom? I think so. No? <laughs> I don't know. Okay. Yeah. I'm not, i got nothing more to say. <laughs> to you or them. <laughs> Bye. Bye.